Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being here. It encourages us to have visitors, to have you here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you would be opening your Bibles to Luke, the 17th chapter, we'll use a story out of Luke, the 17th chapter, as a part of our introduction tonight for a lesson that will really go back to the Old Testament and, and develop even more uh, in depth. We have had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. God has blessed us tremendously with the opportunity Friday evening to sing. Uh, about a hundred gathered together in the old auditorium, and what a singing it is there. That was such a blessing to sing praises to God. All day Saturday in this particular room, there were prayers being offered on the aisle where every member was prayed for, everything that we're involved in. Uh, prayers of thanksgiving for this year, and then anticipation of God's blessing in the future. Many or all the requests that you've turned in thus far have been prayed about. God is an awesome God, powerful, and He blesses us with the opportunity to allow us to petition Him in prayer. And uh, for all those that came and took advantage of that yesterday, we thank you for supporting that. Uh, But so importantly is the fact that we had the opportunity to pray and offer our thanksgiving to God and to offer our petitions to Him also. This morning, the slideshow that Andrew put together about Harvest Sunday, as we think about the many ways God has blessed us, was just a tremendous reminder of really how God has been so good to us. And you know, along with the great gifts come great responsibilities. And so let's make sure that, that we are humbled by the gifts that He has given us as a congregation and that we deal to the very best of our ability with every gift that He has given. We're glad that all of our elders are back tonight. I mentioned in the early service to you that uh, this morning that many of our elders were away talking with another eldership this morning about a potential mission work that we'll be engaged in next summer. Uh, Let's be prayerful about all of our mission trips that we can reach more for the glory of God. Also, Do keep in mind that the prayer cards are available. If you've not picked up your prayer cards, there's three colors out there. Find one that you didn't use last week and be sure and and grab that and and get in the habit, if you're not already, of praying at least three times a day and pray the concerns on those cards. Also pick up a brochure about the scriptures and read scriptures each day of prayer. And if you haven't already, start making your list. Uh, By Thursday, have a list of a hundred different things for which you're thankful. And be sure and share that with your family at Thanksgiving meal. What a wonderful opportunity for us to stop and to give thanks. It's an old cartoon, but the fellow had a most bewildered look. Thanksgiving table was loaded with turkey, dressing, gravy, hot rolls, sweet tea. Oh, it was bountiful. And the caption read, Alvin the atheist reached an all-time low when for the first time he felt gratitude and no one to thank. You'll get that later. Wouldn't it be terrible to feel gratitude and not have anyone to express the thanksgiving for The teacher in class one day decided that she would try to help her children learn the most about Thanksgiving by saying some things that were wrong and thinking that if they corrected the teacher, it would make a 
teachable moment that was most memorable. And so she said, kids, this week is Thanksgiving. You know that wonderful holiday that we have to stop and, and to think about all the things that we have and, and then hope for more things and even want more things than the people around us have? And as she was continuing, there was a chorus of, no, no, that's not Thanksgiving. And finally, when everyone was quiet, the little guy right in the middle said, no, Miss Michelle, that's Christmas, not Thanksgiving. You know, there is such an irony to Thursday and Friday of this week. You know, hopefully, we stop and give thanks to God every day of our life. But isn't it ironic? that on Thursday, as a nation, we stop. Most things close down. Most families get together. And often, those that never give thanks any other time of the year speak of giving thanks. And then Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year, to go out and to buy things. I'm not suggesting to you that shopping on Friday is wrong. I'm simply saying to you, isn't it an irony that as a nation, the one day we pause to give thanks, and the very next day we say, give me more, give me more. If you had a good mother, your mother taught you to say thank you. I hope that as a result of this study tonight, you will know if you don't already know, but I think most of us probably know this. I hope we'll be reminded that what the Lord wants of us is what is best for us. And what is best is not that we simply become polite people to God. In other words, God is not looking for a surface, thank you. Oh, thank you for giving me that. Nonchalant, without thought. What is God looking for? God is looking for a heart of gratitude. He's looking for a life of gratitude. And I think from the study tonight, using Luke 17 as an introduction, dropping back and just seeing a few of the things of the song of Thanksgiving that David gave and that he wrote, I think we'll see that the reality is a life of gratitude, a heart of gratitude, words of gratitude are simply the response of a life that has glorified God and has magnified God. And that is our great challenge. If you would, look with me to Luke the 17th chapter. In Luke, the 17th chapter, we read a beautiful story. It's a story that is so simple that we can't miss the point, surely, at all. Look with me, if you would, to Luke, the 17th chapter. We're going to begin reading verse 11. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. This is speaking of Jesus. He entered into a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice, now notice this here, glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him Thanks. He was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned? Notice this. 
to give glory to God except this foreigner? It's interesting to me that we see this story of thanksgiving. At least one out of ten that returned to give thanks. But even as Luke describes him coming back, it describes him coming back as one that wanted to give glory to God. You see, it wasn't, I just wanted to do the polite thing and drop by and say thank you. He came back to exalt God. He came back to lift the Lord up. And so it was in his intentions to glorify God that he falls at the Lord's feet. That is, by definition, worship. The idea of worship is adoration, to bow down before. And I'm not saying to you, by definition, that's what New Testament worship is. I'm simply saying, if we define the word worship, the word worship carries with it such humility that bows down before. Here's one that wanted to glorify God. Here's one that showed it by his very position as he falls on his face before the Lord's feet. And what does he say? If you wanted to glorify God... And you're in a humble position? The response is simply, thank you. As we think about this type of glory, I'd like for you to look back with me to 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter. In 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter, we see a beautiful song that is of thanksgiving. It's listed, much of it is listed again in Psalms 105. Now, when you think about the setting of this song, it becomes of great significance of why he would write this. Do you remember that the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant? And you remember they had it for seven months. And during those seven months, the Lord sent plagues of tumors. They realized quickly they had something that didn't belong to them and were messing with a God that was a lot more powerful than them. So they, they bring it back and the ark sits there for 20 years. During the meantime, David declares Jerusalem as the national capital. He builds up the city and he comes up with what seems like a marvelous idea. Let's go and let's retrieve the ark. Let's bring it back and let's place it in this new tabernacle that I've built for the ark. Let's put it in Jerusalem, the holy city. Well, we read that he got together his captains of a thousands and captains of a hundred and he asked them what they thought of the plan. They thought it was a good plan and all of them agreed that they would build a new cart. And you remember the story with Uzzah? They placed that ark on a new cart By God's law, it was only to be carried by the Levites and only with poles carried on staffs by foot. You see, they were disobeying God's word. But it was probably in ignorance because they had forgotten the law of God as it pertains to this. But notice, them forgetting it did not excuse them in their disobedience. And so they come to the threshing floor of Shidon and it was there that the oxen stumbled. And it was then that Uzzah naturally reaches out to steady the ark. And immediately, God struck him dead. David's first response was of great anger. But then later, his next response was, let's go back and let's bring this ark back according to the order of God. 
Now, it is significant that the word order is used there because that is the same word. And by the way, that's in the 15th chapter in verse 13. You remember when we read about the New Testament worship in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter? And he's telling some ways some things ought to be done and some ways things ought to not be done. And he closes out that chapter by talking about us doing all things decently and in order. And you see what David is admitting here is we didn't do it by the order that God laid out. And so when we read here in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verse 15, he says, And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the law, or according to the word of the Lord. You see, just as Moses had given in his law, just as God had said, they brought it back. This time, in obedience to God, they were successful. Now... I wonder, why didn't David write a song of thanksgiving when Uzzah had died? Now friends, this may seem like a common sense point, but I think it's one that's worth us exploring just for a second. When you're living in disobedience to God, Do you feel gratitude? Do you have a life of gratitude? Friends, there's something significant about the point that he wrote the song of thanksgiving once he had successfully obeyed God. Tonight, if you're struggling with a life of gratitude... I'm not suggesting to you that you have to make a list of a hundred things by Thanksgiving to be saved. But I'm asking you, if that idea to you seems corny, because after all, you've pretty much worked for everything you have. Why do you feel like you don't owe God gratitude? Why does gratitude not come natural to you? Could it be? That you've not lived an obedient life? You see, it's once he was successful in his obedience to bringing back the ark, it's then that he writes a song. And he gathers all the people together. Now think with me for just a moment. It's an exciting time. He's built this tabernacle. The ark's been away for 20 years. It's time for it to come home. I wonder how many of us would have gathered around and said, we have to have a big ceremony. Look what we've done. Look at this tabernacle we've built. Look how we brought the ark back. Isn't this exciting? Let's sing about Jerusalem. Let's sing about us. Let's sing about the Levites that brought it in. Oh, we could think of all the many things we could say about this exciting time. And David calls everyone together. But he wants to make sure they're all singing the same song. And he writes this song, and we're not going to have time to develop all this tonight, but if you'll read with me 8 through 13 of 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter, and notice this song of of praise, this song of glorifying and magnifying God. He says in verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him, sing psalms to Him, talk of all His wondrous works. And then, he says about glory, 
Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O seed of Israel, His servant, you children of Jacob, His chosen ones. Now from the first two verses we read, verse 8 and 9, we see that third line where he says, make known his deeds. I believe that if we have a life where the intention of our life is to magnify God, to make him known, gratitude is simply going to flow from that. You see, these first two verses, he wanted to make sure that when all the people were brought together, they didn't know more about themselves. They didn't know more about David. They knew more about God. You see, it is when we make known God that we give thanks to God. Notice these four points on the next slide that deals with us making God known. We give thanks to God. Do you give thanks to God? Regularly. Often. Would you think about eating a meal without giving thanks to God? Would you think about receiving a paycheck without pausing to give thanks to God for it? Would you have a day of health that would take you wherever you wanted to go and to be able to pillow your head at night, reflecting upon all the health and the strength that you had that day, and not give God thanks for that health? You see, when we realize the awesome God that we serve, and our desire is not about us. Now, as we think about this, I want you to think about how this applies to selfishness and unselfishness. If we truly are humble and unselfish, we want to magnify God. If we're arrogant and selfish, we want to magnify self. When we magnify self, we begin to take credit. And therefore, we're no longer grateful. David here doesn't take all the credit. David immediately looks to God, knowing that it's God that gave this opportunity. And so he thanks God. And then notice the very second phrase there. He says, calling upon the name of the Lord. When we call upon the Lord's name, it's not just a verbal statement and that alone. But we think we, but think about this. When we call upon the Lord, we're saying He's Lord. Declaring ourselves as servants. We're declaring that He will be the master over our life and that we will be in submission to Him. A life is very different that magnifies God versus one that magnifies themselves. The third phrase, make known His deeds among the people. Who is it that's grateful? It's people that magnify God. Who is it that magnifies God? People that make His deeds known especially those of us that still have children at home, do we speak frequently of God's goodness? Do we speak on a daily and a regular basis of what God has done for us, for the great deeds? If you work around the same person for decades, wouldn't they know that you're a Christian? Simply because you speak about the wonders of God? Now, friends, I don't mean to sound judgmental. But I want to tell you something I can't understand. 
I've talked with people before and say, well, now, you work so-and-so? Yeah. You know, I go to church with someone that works there. Who is it? So-and-so. They go to church. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Now, are they saying that because of the immoral life the person lives at work? Could be. But even if they're not living an immoral life at work, I want to know how can someone be a Christian and not magnify God? How could you have someone sitting beside you at school all semester long, be a friend with you all throughout high school, and them not know that you love God? How could we have neighbors that were in and out of their homes and them not know that we love God? Friends, if you take that group of individuals that have such a twisted and distorted view of Christianity, I can assure you that not only are they going to be linked together and that they're ashamed of God, but you're also going to find this. They are the least grateful. Because it's people that magnify God that naturally respond in gratitude to God. But notice, sing. Sing psalms. Sing and tell of His wondrous works. As I study this passage, it makes me wonder... Go back now, if you will, in thought to when we think life is about us, we become selfish. When we think life is about God, we magnify God. When we become selfish, we become ungrateful because it's us. When we're unselfish, we realize it's all about God. Andrew stands up to lead us in singing. A selfish person doesn't have a whole lot to sing about. Why magnify a God that hasn't done much for you? And also, a selfish person probably thinks that the singing is about them. Well, I wonder what the people around me will think if I miss a note, as if the singing is about you. Friends, thought question. Someone that lives their life To magnify God. Gratitude naturally responds from that. Can they sit in a worship service and not sing? No. Someone says, well, I can't care a a, a tune in a bucket. But I promise you, if that person has sat in their life to magnify God, they'll sing anyway. Because they know that it's not about them. That all of life is about saying, I serve an awesome God. Notice the next few verses. In verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. We see not only that the Lord was magnified, but we see that the Lord was glorified. We make the Lord shine as He says, Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. The word glory is an interesting word to me. In its original root, it meant uh, clear. 
The most primitive, it meant clear as in sound. But then it became clear as in colorless. But then it became most commonly used to be the idea of that which shines. Like we might see, we might see a, a, a stream of water that appears to be colorless and we'd say, look at it sparkle, look at it shine because of the radiance, because of its brilliance. And that's where the word glory comes from. It's the idea of shine, just as we sang just a moment ago. When we sang about shine, Jesus, shine. And it's the idea of glorify Jesus. Now the question is, do we allow Jesus to shine in our life, in the little world we live in day to day? Do we shine Jesus? It also, from that comes the meaning, boast. It's the idea of boasting about the Lord, not boasting about ourselves. We have nothing in and of ourselves to boast. We boast about the Lord. And so are we going to be people that glorify God? We boast about the greatness of God. We would never be ashamed of the Lord. We would speak a good word for the Lord. We would seek His strength, realizing we would never have anything to boast of in our own strength but only in His. And then we would boast of His works and of His wonders and of His judgments. In the verses that follow, the verses where we stopped reading a few minutes ago, it would be 14 through 19. David takes some things that were wonderful experiences that they could boast about in their heritage. They could boast about the covenant that God made with Abraham that blessed and prospered them, and it blesses and prospers us. They could boast about the land of Canaan that had been given to them. Again, do we speak of the wonderful things that God has done for us? As we think about this, I'd like for us to read as we move this lesson toward a close. If you'll drop down and read 28, 29, and 30. I'd like to read this as we close. Still thinking about glory, he says in 28 and following, Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Isn't that wonderful? He says, give the glory that's due to His name. And then He speaks about bringing offerings to Him. He speaks about worshiping. He speaks about trembling before Him, a great respect. And then this song closes a few verses later, encouraging us to give thanks to God. All through this song, it's about magnifying God. It's about glorifying God. And it begins and it ends with giving thanks to God. I urge all of us, let's not just be polite to God. That we feel like we just owe it to God to say a verbal thank you. Let's make sure that from the depths of our heart, we truly do magnify and we glorify God in our life. You know, when we become a Christian, we're taking a stand with God. Well, we're openly in front of others. We're saying, I want to be a Christian.
And that means wherever we go in life, we let Jesus shine through us. If you've never become a child of God, wouldn't this be a wonderful opportunity tonight to let Jesus shine in your life, for you to glorify Jesus in that way? Calling upon the name of the Lord in the New Testament is given twice. And both times we see that it led folks to the waters of baptism. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you think about that this evening? Won't you give your life to the Lord? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and something has has separated you from God. And your life is no longer glorifying God as it should or magnifying God. Won't you come back to Him tonight? Let's make sure that we all leave here grateful. Grateful because of the great God that we want to magnify. For your help in any way.